Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about family, marriage, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. We've all been in relationship ruts where we're stuck arguing with our partner about the same things over and over. And while in the moment it can sometimes seem impossible to get out of these toxic loops, a new book suggests that three pretty straightforward steps can help you move past some of the most common and vexing relationship conflicts. Joining me today to talk about her new book, The Love Fix, Repair and Restore Your Relationship Right Now, is Tara Fields, a marriage and family therapist based in the Bay Area who has spent more than 28 years working with couples. Hi, Tara. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in. Your new book, The Love Fix, addresses five of what you say are the most common, quote, conflict loops, Mm -hmm. and you make suggestions on how to fix them. Can -hmm. you tell me what those five things are and how you came up with them? I've been a marriage therapist for almost 28 years, and when I was putting together the format of this book, my literary agent said, you know, let's really pare this down. Tell me the five most common conflict power struggles that you see with your your clients. If you were going to sum those up, and that's how the five conflict loops were created. But also, what's really important is to that I talk about the opportunity within each of these to actually transform them from a conflict loop to a loving circle, and that's the opportunity that I hope couples and individuals will see rather than staying in the power struggles or even bailing on the relationship, that if they can reframe this as an opportunity to learn about themselves, to learn about their couple, which creates even deeper intimacy and a foundation that will really keep you together forever, then it takes a lot of the anxiety and the distress away so that what I found was individuals then are more open to really looking at the conflict instead of, I can't go on anymore, this is awful, what was I thinking of? So let's go through these conflict loops. What is number one? One of the, the conflict loops that I see a lot is what I call the parent trap. And the opposite of that, the loving circle, which is the opportunity there, is an equal partnership. So the parent trap is something that I have to say this is the one that I fall into a little bit. I could be nagging my husband, you know, once a year, honey, did you get that physical? Did you get that physical? It's in our, it's covered by our insurance. Once a year isn't so bad, though. I, <laughs> I think once a lot a of people do so the bad. nagging uh, a few times a day. Yeah, a few times mm. a day. And what happens <laughs> is if you get into this rut where you take on the role of being the micromanaging parent constantly having to have things a certain way, micromanaging your partner, taking on too much, things having to be, you know, your way. Um, and underneath that is usually an underlying anxiety of, of, some, of some sort, which is, you know, what's this about? What are you afraid or is going to happen if you let go of the control? On the other side, you might have a partner, and I'm going to use men and women in this example. You have a man who's saying, you know what, relax a little, you know, chill out. So what if things aren't perfect? But the more he says, in a sense, you know, you just need to chill out, the more she's going to try to get heard. He also, over time, might say, you know what, it's never good enough. It's never perfect. I'm just going to give up. 
So I just want to back up for a second Mm -hmm. and just to say that when you say the parent trap, just to be clear for listeners, that you're Mm -hmm. not talking, you're not talking about parenting together and the trap that that you're talking about one member of the couple who acts like a nagging parent towards the other one. Exactly. It's a conflict loop that couples get into where one partner takes on the role, not meaning to, of being the parent, and then the other partner takes on the role of being the child. And the more one tries to get the other one to do what they want to do, the more the other one might say, just dig their heels in and say, why try? I see this often with men that are new parents, and they really, they're so afraid of doing it wrong that they just give up, they don't do anything, and then a woman might say, why aren't you more involved? And the understanding comes when they start talking about this and realizing, gosh, it just might come naturally to a woman, or it goes back to their childhood where they had a father that was shut down and unavailable. And when a couple starts looking at this, talking about it, and they start understanding where the roles come from. The man might say, you know, I don't want to be like my father. I want to be present. I want to be available with my kids. But I'm so afraid, honey, that whatever I do, I'm going to do wrong, that I don't do anything. And she says, oh, I get it. It's not that you just don't care. You're not involved. There's another side of this parent-child dynamic where one partner might look for a fixer-upper because they're not really sure, will I be loved? Will you stay with me unless you're dependent on me? So women might find a guy that needs fixing. He's got drinking problems, you know, whatever. A man might find a woman who becomes dependent on her to take care of everything and money. But after a while, it becomes a toxic loop. What can a couple do, though, that's very actionable if this is one of the loops they find themselves in? Is there anything beyond going oh, to therapy absolutely. and talking? The, the, first, the first step is recognizing it because you get it. The couples will get into a lot of blaming, which is, you know what? I really, if if a if an individual is in the parent role, to say, I I don't like being in this, but I'm so afraid. If I let go, if I don't multitask, if I don't take care of everything, this or that is going to happen. And to explore the anxiety, he might say, you know, I really miss the days when you really appreciated my childlike awe, that part of of me that you used to love because it helped you be more spontaneous. So when they start talking about it, and they're both willing to face their fears, she might have to make the choice to say, okay, I'm willing to feel the feelings that are underneath that urge to say, do it this way, or I have to have it this way. And then to talk to your partner about it. That's where the individual healing comes in. And that's where the intimacy grows from. So let's move on to the number two, which you call come a close, go away. Yeah. In the dating world, a lot of us, really know that dynamic, the come close, go away. You know, she's unavailable, he's not calling. But it, it's, it, it can be surprising when that happens within the relationship. You think, gee, we've made a commitment and, you know, we're married. Why does he want to spend so much time alone? Or why is she pulling on me? Why doesn't she feel more comfortable? And the healthy circle is what's called an interdependent relationship where you find that healthy balance of being a we, 
you are one, you're a couple, you have the special things you do together, but also to be able to flow out of that and, and have that sense of autonomy, be your own person. And it becomes a conflict loop when one, one partner says, I don't understand. Why do you always have to go off and do those things? I feel abandoned. Why can't we go shop for, for you know, new, new pillowcases together? And he's going, that's not fun. <laughs> so when they can start talking about what the healthy balance is and to explore again what's underneath it, I find a lot with men who start distancing when their partner says, come on, let's do more together, or why do you have to go do that? that sometimes they had a, a mother that was overly enmeshed who was pulling on them, who made him responsible. So as soon as she has just a normal, healthy request, which is, hey, honey, why don't we, you know, why don't we go do this yoga workshop together instead of you taking a bike ride, he feels it's his mother pulling on him. So when you can get underneath the behavior and explore the feelings, that's when the change happens. She might start talking about past relationships in a way that he never knew about. My last husband started spending more time apart, and eventually he just left the relationship, or I had a father who abandoned me. So again, it's looking at the opportunity. It's not about the thing they're fighting about. It's really about the feelings and the history underneath it and finding out what is it that you're really wanting. Why is this so painful? So I think that's a good segue into the third conflict loop that you write about, which is the blame game and the shame spiral, which I think that people in long-term relationships are probably really familiar with. Oh, absolutely. I'd say also the majority of couples that come in, I give them some time because they're doing a lot of the blaming. If you just did this, then everything would be fine. Well, that's your fault. Or they're trying to shame each other. So the remedy is really to start looking at what am I really fighting about and taking ownership because both partners always have a part in the conflict. So it's, it's to really, let's say a couple comes in and she's blaming him for not standing up for her when his mother, you know, was making snarky remarks. He's saying, oh, you just don't like my family. You know, stop shaming me. Stop shaming my family. So when you get to under, what's underneath that, it's usually, you know, I feel like I'm not important to you. I feel like you're choosing your mother over me. And he's saying, that's silly. Why would you think that way? But when he really hears that, Things start changing. They start talking. And then it becomes like the gift of the Magi when you really get what the other per person who you love is feeling, why it's wounding, where, how it's triggering old wounds from the past, your own childhood. That's when the love starts growing. That's when the, the compassion starts emerging. And that's when the thing you're fighting about just goes away. It doesn't even matter anymore. I think that this is the uh, loop, though, where things can get really nasty and yeah. ugly, where people, where we sort of revert to our most juvenile selves sometimes, and there's a lot of name-calling involved and really yeah. tempers flare. And I wonder what your advice is, just to dig in a little bit here, for when couples get into those spirals, really, where they can't 
they can't forgive in that moment where things are really too heated and mm-hmm. things have gone too far and sometimes things have been said that are going to later be they might regret. What do you suggest couples do in that moment? That's where mindfulness and really practicing not being reactive comes in, and it's, it's easier said than done. And it's so important for individuals to really be clear that if you start hitting below the belt, making character assassinations as opposed to just complaining, you may do real damage and you may not take it back. Somebody has to be the bigger one and say, okay, we're not exploring anything, we're not resolving this, I'm not feeling good about what's going on. When you want to talk about your feelings, I'm available, but if not, I'm out of here. Whether it's hanging up the phone, whether it's going for a run, but somebody has to make the decision to move out of that loop. And to say, listen, if you want to talk about what's going on underneath the anger, your pain, what this is really about for you, I'm here. And when you want to hear why this is so painful for me, I want to talk to you about it. But I don't want to destroy the relationship in a way where we can't come back. And one thing that I say about anger, especially when it's really ugly, like you're describing, is anger is usually, it usually serves one of two purposes. One is the anger is almost always a protection. When you're angry, you can't feel your pain, you can't feel your sadness, you feel vulnerable. Or it's a way to manipulate someone else. I'm going to use my anger to get you to comply, to get you to do what I want you to do. And you got to look at the, the bigger picture. Is that what you want from your partner? Do you want them to do what you want them to do out of fear? And that's not going to bode well for a loving or even a lasting relationship. Moving on to the conflict loop number four, which you call testing, testing, one, two, three. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, and, and if you have kids, you know what that's about, testing boundaries, testing to see if you love me. And there are many forms of testing, and the remedy to that is really asking directly for what you want and having the emotional courage to do that. So let's say a partner is feeling like, God, I'm invisible, we haven't had sex for a while, he's not turned on to me. Instead of talking about it, she might start flirting to see if she's still attractive. You mean flirting with someone else? Flirting with somebody else or, you know, checking in with with an old boyfriend who, who used to think she was the hottest thing in the world. When you start even taking those small steps away from your partner, you can really do a lot of damage. Somebody who's thinking about leaving might say, you know what, I don't believe this conflict's ever going to go away or the passion's going to come back. I'm going to test test the waters and see what would it be like out there in the world. And there's all kinds of tests to see how far can I push you before you set a boundary. It can even be if a couple is struggling with alcohol or overspending. It's like, did you even notice that I left that wine bottle out there. You know, I actually want you to set a boundary. So again, it's all indirect, and it's up to the individual that's doing the testing if you want a loving relationship and if you want to learn about yourself and heal the old wounds and to move forward is to have an open and honest conversation. And don't wait for your partner to be the one to have the courage to do that. 
And then what should couples do when they get to a loop, like the last loop that you talk about in this book, which is just simply growing apart and how, when they get to that point, what is, what can be done? This, this also is a loop that I'm seeing so often with women. Women have now are the ones that are, are filing for divorce, initiating the ends of relationship because over time, if you don't grow as an individual and as a couple, there's the risk that one person's going to grow out of the relationship. So I see this with couples where maybe for years a woman's been saying, honey, we're having issues. Let's get a little therapy. Let's take a workshop. Let's just try something new. And he says, no, 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 you know, we're just fine. You kind of take each other for granted, like we're married. Why do we have to do anything? So after a while, she might make the healthy choice of saying, okay, I'm going to let go of trying to pull on him and get him to change. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make myself happy and with boundaries. And after a while, she might say, why even be in this relationship? And what I see with women is they don't necessarily leave because they found somebody else. They just say, I'd rather be alone. It's so lonely there. So couples have to be open to the reality that you have to change. You have to change. Life happens. Traumatic events happen. Somebody loses the job. Your wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer. And the fantastic opportunity there is these events, when you're there for each other, when you become a team, when you deal with the challenges and you look back on that, can create the kind of relationship that no one or nothing outside yourself can, can destroy. But if you don't grow from them, if you stay stuck, if you pretend that things aren't going on, you'll, one or two of you are going to outgrow the relationship. I think it's I think what it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, life happens and people and couples that all kinds of things happen after we say I do that nobody predicts or necessarily wants to happen. And we don't know when we marry someone what they're going to be like in that situation because no one has planned, you know, there's no way to plan for it. And we don't know how we're going to react. Right. You know, I mean, that's, and that's the opportunity. You know, I've, I've gone through things with my husband where I never knew that he could take over roles that I had, or he'd be able to do the kind of things that he did. I went through the loss of my father and I was, you know, here was a man who I was always the talker and the feeling, the, the one expressing feelings. And probably the most beautiful memory I have is the hospice nurse, when I got to L.A., he was there before, telling me she had never seen a son-in-law express feelings or being so loving towards a father-in-law. And that was my husband growing. And, and, and being someone who has a result of all our years together and being open to growing really, you know, was able to do something that meant a lot to me and eventually to himself, for himself. One thing I just want to touch on before we finish up is I think there's also, though, the not so extraordinary but just more mundane events that happen in daily life for mm-hmm. couples that can be, you know, can get boring or deadening. I think parents experience this a lot, especially when kids are younger. And you have 
an expression that you use in the book about, you know, the sort of pitfalls of doing the when-then game, uh, um, yeah. which I thought was really something that I think a lot of us do without even realizing it. Could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the when game is a dangerous trap that we can fall into as individuals or couple, which is, you know, when the kids are grown, when we have more money, when, when we can move into another house, when we're, even when we're finally retired, then we will fill in the blank, um, find more quality time together, take a vacation, just do those small things. And as we know, with all the things that have happened in the world, all you have is today, and you've got to make the most of it. You also can't take the relationship or life for granted. And there are always ways of living life in the moment. You can set better boundaries and maybe as a couple explore your priorities. Maybe working our our tushes off to make sure our kids are in private school isn't as important as spending quality time together as a family. You know, let's put them in public school. And is it really true that we've got to finish even doing the yard work in the moment rather than taking a hike like we used to when we were dating? You have, you cannot play the win then game. And then what are ways some, you, you prescribe some homework in your book, which I think will make a lot of, you know, the, the idea of homework is very, it doesn't elicit a lot of fun feelings That's in why couples. That's why work. That was intentional. No, no homework. So, but what are some ways, you know, in order to avert some of these these loops and the things that we're talking Mm -hmm. about? What are some things that couples can do to avoid these ruts? The the number one thing that I advise couples to do, and no couple ever leaves my office after the first session without this, and often they do it within the session, because if somebody else was sitting there who wasn't a therapist, they would say, why are these people even together? They don't love each other. And I'm sitting there saying, you know, they're there because they do love each other. They've just forgotten the things that they do like about each other, and they've become habituated to just noticing and focusing on the negative. So one of the quick fixes I give, and I give this to everybody in my office, is even if you're not feeling it, dig down and find three to five things to say to your partner with no expectations that they're going to respond um, that you appreciate and you're grateful for. And I've seen couples that seem to hate each other, and they look at me like they're nuts. Find something I'm appreciative. Are you kidding me? And you can find those small things, you know. God, I love listening to you reading to our son at night, or I love that you, you know, you always make sure we eat healthy, to the really, to the bigger things. And what happens over time is your brain actually starts becoming wired to notice the negative. And if you do this exercise every single day, not only will you develop the new habit, but your brain will get rewired to go back to the way it was when you first met and they could do no wrong and you always saw the great stuff. So three to five things you feel grateful for or appreciative and with no expectations of what you're going to get in return. You do it because it makes you feel good. Tara Fields, thank you so much for being on The Labor of Love today. Tara Fields' new book is called The Love Fix. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. 
If you have a domestic quandary and would like to be a guest on our show, or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel. If you've enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find three more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love. Mm-hmm.